Hi friends, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Mill and I wanna thank you for joining us online as we continue a series today that we started last week called Unlikely. And as we jump into this series, we are looking at a story from the book of Judges and it's about a guy named Gideon. So if you have a Bible, grab it, turn to Judges chapter six with me. And as you turn, let me catch you up. Uh, Let me let you know where we are at in the story. If you were with us last week, you'll remember that it's not a good time for the Lord's people. They are being uh, pillaged and overrun by a very powerful neighboring nation to the east called the Midianites. And what happened is the Midianites would descend on Israel in mass numbers and they would consume their crops and they would kill their cattle. And the author tells us in verse five that the Midianites came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. There are just tons of these people. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. So the people's land is being ravaged. In the face of this overwhelming problem, they cry out to the Lord. And mercifully, the Lord hears their cry and he decides to intervene, but he determines to do so through one of the most unlikely characters you can imagine, a guy named Gideon. In fact, when we first meet Gideon, he's hunkered down, he's timid, he's terrified, he's threshing wheat in a wine press, but God shows up in the form of an angel with a calling for Gideon. And then to reassure Gideon, he performs a miracle, but Gideon is still just a little hesitant. But he decides, in spite of his hesitancy, to trust God and tear down his father's altar to Baal. God says, I want you to go and do this little thing for me, Gideon, just to demonstrate faith, just to kind of get a warm up. And Gideon decides to do it. But one of the reasons that Gideon is timid about making this move is that he's afraid about what his father will say and what the townspeople will do. But after taking this small step of faith, Gideon's dad surprisingly backs Gideon up and the townspeople get on board as well. They rally behind Gideon and they actually give him a little nickname, Jerob Baal. Jerob Baal, it means let Baal contend with him. It's sort of like a tough, it's a tough guy nickname. It may not sound like it to you, but Jerob Baal, it was, it was a macho deal. And this little nickname, this response by these people is just one more way that God is telling Gideon, you can trust me. Even when you're scared, even when things don't make sense to you, know this, I will be with you if you put your faith in me. And Gideon seems to be getting it. He's getting the message. This new nickname is giving him a little swagger. He starts sort of recruiting his countrymen and calling them to arms. And he's preparing to do what God's asked him to do. And that's lead his people against the Midianites. But then as the situation draws near, the reality of what God is asking Gideon to do starts to settle in. It starts to get closer and Gideon begins to doubt. Judges chapter six, verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand 
as you said. Now, I want you to notice carefully Gideon's words here. If you'll do this fleece wedding thing, God, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. In other words, God, I, already, I know you already told me this. I know you already promised these things. I know you've already given instruction, but I need to hear it from you again. Notice Gideon's doubt. Notice his insecurity starting to rise up in the face of fear. Verse 38. And yet that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. See, God is not being coy here. He is demonstratively letting Gideon know, this is what I'm calling you to do, Gideon, and I have your back. It's not just a moist fleece, it's a soaking wet fleece. Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. See, Gideon, he knows he's pushing the limits here. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. Let's make sure that that whole thing wasn't just a fluke. And so that night, verse 40, that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Friends, let's get real, real clear here. The whole fleece thing is a real wimpy deal. It is not a moment of great faith. You see in this passage that even Gideon himself understands this. He apologizes for it. Don't be angry with me, Lord. Like, don't be mad that I'm asking again. This moment is actually meant to show how timid and insecure Gideon is feeling. And I bring this up because for some reason, in Christian circles and in churches, we've sort of picked up this this language of, of putting down a fleece for God and we treat it as this ultra spiritual thing to do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this thing and if God responds this way, then I'll know that he's asking me to do this or to do that. It's like, we're gonna, we're gonna test God and we think it's a real spiritual thing to do. The old Christian comedian, Ken Davis, tells the story of a guy who is driving down the road and he sees a bakery and he decides, Lord, I'm going to put a fleece out for you. You know, I'm going to pull into the parking lot of this bakery. And if there happens to be an open parking spot right in front, then I will know, Lord, that it's your will for me to go in and eat a donut. And so the guy pulls in and sure enough, after the fifth time around, there's an open slot. You see, that's the problem with the whole fleece thing. It's so easy for us to manipulate it. It's so easy for us to turn moments of faith in God to tests of God. You see, what God is looking for from us is trust in him. And then all of a sudden we flip it around and we're saying, God, we're going to test you. So then here's the question. Why does God do it? So if, if it's not this moment of great faith, why does God play along with Gideon's little game here? And no less, he plays along twice, twice. Friends, hear this. This section of the story is not meant to demonstrate Gideon's faith, but God's patience. This 
is the story of a patient God who nurses Gideon along time and time and time again. And friends, what the Bible is trying to teach us here is this, even if you aren't the most confident, most trusting, most faith-filled person around, God still wants to use you. He still wants to help you learn to trust him and he's patient. You see, sometimes I think we get the feeling, at least I sometimes get the feeling that God has given up on us, that he's moved on from me to other people who don't have as many doubts and fears and questions and insecurities, but that's not true. It's just not who the Bible says our God is. In fact, if you read the scriptures, I'll challenge you, Every single person in the Bible who's used by God has to wrestle with doubts, fears, questions, and insecurities, all of them. Last week, I offered a challenge. If you were part of our service last week, I said, take a step of faith, even if it's just a little step, like trust God in some way this week. Ask him, Lord, where do you want me to trust you? And then step out in faith. And I know some of you did it. Some of you took that step. Some of you wrote to me about taking that step. Good for you. But some of you, some of you didn't. Some of you heard the message and you intended to take that step or you wanted to take that step, but you never got around to it or you rationalized it away or you, quite frankly, just wimped out. And now, now maybe you're tempted to think, I failed And that chance to trust God is over. And furthermore, God has probably given up on me because I'm not the kind of Christian that he uses. And I've proven that time and time and time again when I've chosen fear or insecurity over faith. But friends, that's not true. That's not true. That offer, that opportunity to trust your God is still there and God is still with you. The offer still stands and he's still with Gideon in our story. Chapter seven starts and now Gideon is just about ready to go off to war against the Midianites. And he he lobs the call out to the nation and 32,000 soldiers join Gideon. 32,000 men show up to support Gideon in his efforts. Unfortunately, the Midianites have 135,000 soldiers of their own. And so God comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, I think you have a numbers problem. And Gideon says, God, I am so glad to hear you say that because for a minute there, I thought you were gonna send me into battle outnumbered four to one. And God says, no, no, Gideon, I'm not gonna do that. You have too many men. You got too many guys. Verse three, this is God. Announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. 22,000 men said, yep, scaredy cat, I'm out of here. While 10,000 remained. You see, friends, one of the lessons we learn in this story and all throughout the Bible is this. Often before using us, God will weaken us. Often before using us, God will weaken us. 
You see, our greatest strength as followers of God in this world is our dependence on him. And when we are strong, when we feel capable and secure and up to the task, we often decide to face challenges before us in our own strength. But God wants us to face challenges before us in his strength. One of the great examples of this in the New Testament is a guy by the name of Peter. He's my favorite disciple. I love Peter. Peter's the guy who preached the very first sermon of the church at the very beginning of the book of Acts and thousands of people came to faith in Christ. Peter is the guy who who leads the New Testament church after Jesus ascends back into heaven. Now, Peter is the one in charge. And yet, right before that, right before those moments of leadership and success, Peter denied Jesus three times. In his master's darkest hour, Peter walked away from Jesus. He utterly and completely failed the following God test. But often before using us, God will weaken us. Friends, let me ask you this. Do you feel weak today? Do you you feel down? Is there a place in life where you feel like things are not going your way? Like you aren't becoming stronger and better and more confident, but weaker and more deficient and maybe more insecure? Maybe God is teaching you to depend on him so that in your weakness, you can discover his strength. Well, Gideon has just been weakened by 10,000 troops. Actually, 22,000 troops. He's got 10,000 left. And God says, there are still too many. Then in verse five, God gives this really kind of weird and interesting command. He says, take the troops you have, Take them down to the water and separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Now, this is a weird kind of part of the story and scholars debate what's really happening here. But let me give you my take. In our world, we love dogs, especially in Portland. We're a little bit crazy about our pets and specifically our dogs. Um, Our dogs are our companions. They're like man's best friend. My dog, Freddie, who I adore, uh, he probably lives a better life than a good chunk of humans on this planet. That's how we treat our dogs. But in the Bible, dogs were not highly revered. In fact, to be compared to a dog or called a dog in the scriptures is actually most often very derogatory. So when God says, hey, Gideon, you're going to be down by the water. There are going to be two kinds of soldiers. There's going to be dog lappers and kneel downers. That's kind of how he divides the guys out. To be a dog lapper was not necessarily a compliment. This is not a good thing. And the point here is that now the only troops in Gideon's army are not the Navy SEALs. These are not the few, the proud, the Marines. Gideon here is left with the dog lapper guys. And furthermore, only 300 of them stay. Gideon is now down to 300 men. You see, friends, the point of this story is not how to win a war. This is not good strategies for victory in battle. This is a story about learning to trust God in the face of overwhelming odds. 
Let me ask you today, are you facing any overwhelming odds in your life right now? Are you facing any realities that seem so hard or so difficult or so improbable that you are tempted to lose faith? Maybe in these days you've heard words like these, 99% of people will die from this disease. It's not going to get better. Most marriages won't last through this, this kind of catastrophe. My cousin's son went down that path and he was never the same. The chances of your finances recovering are slim to none. This is not one that people often bounce back from. Maybe friends, maybe someplace in your life, the odds are not in your favor, but God has you in church online today to hear this. Even in the face of overwhelming odds, God is with you and he is on your side. Verse eight. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. You see, God is still understanding that Gideon is afraid, that he's hesitant. And now it's nighttime and Gideon is up on a hill and he's looking out across the valley. The vast lights of the Midianite army are sort of spread out before him. You know how sometimes the city looks bigger at night? Look at the city in the daytime, but at night you can see all the lights and you can see just how many people, just how many buildings, just how far out it goes. That's what's happening to Gideon right now. He's remembering again, oh yeah, there are a lot of guys out there. So under the veil of darkness, Gideon does what God says and he creeps down to the edge of the Midianite camp and he listens in on a conversation that one soldier is having with another. Here it is, verse 13. One guy says this, I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. First of all, pause. And I don't want you to miss the humor here because this is God's way of reminding Gideon that he's not really all that much. The picture God gives of Gideon in this vision, it's not a sword, it's not a shield, it's not even a hurling rock. It's a piece of bread. How many teams do you know would, would pick a piece of bread to be their mat? You know, two, four, six, eight, the biscuits are gonna dominate. Like not a thing, right? Like no one chooses bread, but that's what Gideon gets. The friend responds, this picture of bread, this tumbling piece of bread hitting the tent. This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon. Finally, a sword shows up. Son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. See, God is giving Gideon yet another sign, yet another moment of encouragement. He's pushing Gideon. Trust me, you can do it. Have the faith that I long for you to have. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. Friends, Gideon now knows that there's no turning back. He knows that the moment has come where he will take this huge step of faith and attack 135,000 soldiers with 300 men. 
This is that moment before the big moment, right? This is like that moment when you, when you gulp and you take a, a big, deep breath right before you jump, right before you say yes to the big assignment, right before you finalize the agreement, right before you have that hard conversation that you've been putting off and dreading, right before you confess that sin that you've been keeping to yourself for so long. This is gut check time. This is the moment right before you step out in faith and agree to go on that mission trip or, or finally join that Mending the Soul group or say yes to serving in our kids' ministry or in our youth ministry or share your faith with a coworker or invite a friend to church who doesn't know Christ. This is the moment when you need courage for the diagnosis that's coming or the surgery or the move or the tryout. This is one of those moments, a faith moment. This is the moment for Gideon. And what does Gideon do to muster up the faith and the courage that he needs? He worships. He worships. Gideon worships, friends, because in worship, we are reminded how powerful and faithful our God is. I cannot tell you how often in this last season I have been carried along, literally carried along through worship. My, my kids will tell you, they will testify the number of times that they have gone to listen to Spotify and our family Spotify account is being used by me because once again, dad is listening to his stinking worship playlist. I've just been carried along through worship. Friends, and this is not me bragging. This is not me saying, look how spiritual I am. I, I listen to worship music. You should too. Friends, I don't listen to worship music because I'm faithful. I listen to worship music because I'm fragile. That's when we need worship. Let me just say this. If you are facing something, if you are stepping into something or moving forward towards something that God has called you into and it's scary and intimidating and challenging or out of your comfort zone in any way, worship. They aren't just songs. They will build faith and trust and confidence deep into your soul. Nothing brings courage to the human heart like the worship of the sovereign almighty God of the universe. Gideon worshiped. And then verse 15, he returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I... And all who are with me blow our trumpets. Then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. So let me tell you how this worked. Usually a torch and a trumpet signified an entire battalion of soldiers. 
And, and the smashing of these jars in the middle of the night would have sounded like hundreds of thousands of swords being raised. So it's dark. These 300 men all of a sudden would have seemed like tens of thousands. And you'll notice that they strategically pulled this off right at the beginning of the middle watch, which means this, a third of the Midianite army would have been returning to the camp from being on guard duty. Another third would have been going out from the camp to be on guard duty. And the final third would have been fast asleep in their beds. So everyone's groggy. They're tired. It's dark. They're not expecting anything to happen. And suddenly a bunch of soldiers are coming into camp. And just at this moment, the Israelites blow their trumpets and smash their jars and these torches appear and the Midianites going out from the camp see the Midianites coming into the camp and they think we're being attacked. And so what do they do? They fight. They begin to fight one another. And then finally they flee. Gideon and his 300 men win the battle without ever lifting a sword. And then in the end, as this little section, as this little moment of Gideon's life comes to a close, listen to how the section concludes. They captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb, two of my favorite names. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the wine press of Zeb. You see that? Did you catch it? Do you see what God has done? At the beginning of this story, Gideon's faith was so small that he was hiding from the Midianites in a wine press. But now, finally, in the end, through God's faithfulness, it's not Gideon who's in the wine press, it's his enemies. The message of the story today is this, no matter what you face, no matter how it seems to be going, no matter how weak and insecure you might feel, God is always for you and he is always with you. And maybe today you're saying, well, Pastor Dave, that sounds all well and good, but you don't understand how weak and how broken and how insecure I feel. I am struggling and I could really use a fleece. I could really use a reminder of God's presence. And here's the good news. God has one for you. God has a fleece for you. And it's not just a damp rag on the ground. It's a tomb with a stone rolled away and a God who is no longer there because death has been defeated and he is risen. Do you need a reminder that your God is for you and that he is with you and that he'll never leave you nor forsake you? Look to the cross, look to the empty tomb. In the familiar words of the apostle Paul, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's your fleece. There's your promise. There's your assurance. Whatever you face, walk in confidence and courage because he is with you and he is for you. As we close our service today, church, let me pray for you.
Father, I understand in these days what it feels like to face things that feel bigger than you. I'm so thankful, Lord, for your promises, for your faithfulness, for your encouragement, for your help. I pray now, Lord, for anyone listening to this message who is facing something that is overwhelming them, that feels too big, that feels too scary. I pray, God, that you would remind them of your faithfulness, that you would remind them that you will be with them, that you will remind them that even though they cannot see how it will turn out in the end and how it could possibly be for their good and your glory, God, that you are in control. Remind them of this truth. Remind them of Gideon. May we have the kind of faith, Lord, the kind of faith that allows you to move and work in our lives, just a little bit of faith. And we thank you for your patience for your patience with us, for your love and kindness, for your mercy. We love you, Jesus. We need you and we pray it in your name. Amen. God bless you, friends. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.